Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Complex kids is hard. Divorce is hard. You're adding them together. You're 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 doubling your hard or quadrupling your hard. It may be exponential. And so, being setting realistic expectations for yourself, for your kids, you know, riding the waves sometime, but really kind of saying, okay, what's what's most important to me here, and how do I prioritize? Because I may not be able to tackle everything at once. It may not be realistic for me to be able to to help my kid 24-7 and deal with this really difficult situation, I might need to make some more conscious choices that I might make differently if I wasn't going through a divorce, or I might make differently if I was not parenting a complex kid. Welcome to All Things Parenting, where we introduce you to experts who share proven approaches to parenting, co-parenting, and step-parenting that we were never taught and need now more than ever. Parenting is one of the most important and difficult roles we take on. And even with married parents, it's by no means an easy job. Divorcing parents are faced with the added trauma of divorce, the overwhelming exhaustion from single parenting, the wide-ranging, thorny challenges of co-parenting, and the monumental effort needed when you enter into a blended family with hers, his, ours, and all the exes. We need rock-solid skills, approaches, guidance, and support, and that's what All Things Parenting is designed to offer. Welcome back to another episode of All Things Parenting. Today, we're discussing what happens when divorce collides with raising complex kids. If you're raising a complex kid, you know the unique challenges you face. These difficulties may even have played a role in the dissolution of your marriage. Today, we're joined by my dear friend and colleague, Diane Dempster. She walks us through what she means by complex kid and what's different about parenting one through divorce. She highlights the likelihood that if you have a complex kid, either you and or your co-parent may also be complex and discusses how this adds different complexities to the mix. We also look at how this dynamic affects single and co-parenting and how you can evolve into a more present and intentional version of yourself through this complicated season. A little bit about Diane before we jump in. 
Diane Dempster is a professional coach, speaker, author, and educator with 20 years of corporate leadership experience. She's the co-founder of Impact Parents, a coaching organization for parenting neurodiverse kids and co-creator of Sanity School and the Sanity School Certification Program for Professionals. An experienced leader, expert in change management, and all-around life Sherpa. Diane helps clients create deep, sustaining change and opening in clients' eyes to life. Welcome, Diane. Hi, Karen. It's always good to be here. I'm just wearing a different hat today. Yes, you are, because Diane is also a member of the Journey Beyond Divorce team. But today, she's got her complex kids hat on. So, Diane, thanks so much for joining us. This has been this wild series of talking about raising and co-parenting kids from so many different angles. And and this one is so important. And I think more and more of us are, are faced with these complexities. And so can you kind of jump in and just define what we mean by complex kids to get us started? Well, we always say that if you have a complex kid, you know it. Right? it and we usually say it's kids who struggle with life or learning or behavior. Um, you use the word neurodivergent in the, in the intro. A lot of times these are kids with anxiety. These are kids with ADHD, with autism, with learning and attention issues. I mean, there's all different kinds of lenses to this. And if you have a kid who's a complex kid, you know it. I mean, these are these are kids who are struggling. I, I think the other thing that I kind of intro into this is, you know, the last four years particularly have raised the stress level and the level of overwhelm on our planet generally. And I and I think we've, you know, everyone is neurodivergent on some level when we get stressed and overwhelmed. And right. because the level of stress and overwhelm, particularly on our kids, has been really intense over the last several years, we've seen the statistics increase and, you know, like 40% of adults, uh, the CDC said like 40% of adults right now are struggling with some challenges of neurodivergence. And so it's important to recognize that kids are probably, the numbers are even higher and more staggering. We just don't see it in the same way. And can you just define neurodivergent for people who've never heard that term? So neurodivergent is uh, simply um, your your brain is wired or working differently, right? It's this sort of whether it's atypically like I'm stressed and and I'm like operating from more of my emotional part of my brain, or because I've got ADHD, autism, anxiety, those sorts of things. That's part of what neurodivergent means. It could also be I have dyslexia. It could also be you know any of those other components that really are defining the fact that your your brain is not um is not operating in a, in what the world has become to know in a traditional way and i think i you know i say that with gentleness because there's a lot of people who believe that okay we're we're evolving as a species or things are changing and i use that terminology of neurotypical neurodiverse just as a way for us to simplify um in today's world Right, right. What we're talking about, and and the first question that comes to mind is, so so you have these kids, this child or these children um, with these challenges, and if and for those listening to this episode, they've also been struggling in their marriage and often for a while, and so 
when you add those two together, even even before the divorce in the mix of um, mild conflict or high conflict household and all of this other complexity, what do you find happens? Well, I think, you know, number one is the your kid's tolerance and, and ability to manage may be different, right? If you've got a kid with anxiety, their ability, I mean, it's hard for kids, period, right? It's just sort of if you're in a in a moderate or high conflict situation, even in the best of situations, if you're able to kind of keep the conflict, active conflict down when your kids are present, which we always want to try to do as we can, our kids have a hard time. And and kids who have anxiety, kids who have ADHD, autism, those sorts of things may be more sensitive, right? And so they may be more empathic. They may, I was talking to a group of parents this morning about the distinction between calm and fake calm, right? And it's just sort of a lot of times when we're going through a really difficult divorce, we may try to modulate because we don't want to show upset or show overwhelm or show fear or show sadness or whatever it is to our kids as overtly and and lose it in front of our kids. And these kids tend to be more empathic than others. And so they may feel what we're going through in a very, very large way. And we're like, wait a second, I'm trying to hide it. What's going on here? Or they may start acting out, right? And it's this sort of all of a sudden I've got a kid acting out. I'm trying to manage my own stress. I'm trying to manage my soon-to-be ex or my ex or whoever. And and the drama ends up escalating. And then we're in the middle of what I call the hot mess because everybody's dysregulated. So the, the, the things that make divorce hard, you know, making decisions about how we're going to co-parent, uh, you know, transitions between one house to another, uh, things like, um, working memory and the fact that it's like, okay, I got to remember it's Tuesday. I'm going to mom's house or, you know, it's like all of these sorts of things that, that are really challenging for all of us as we're trying to right. navigate co-parenting and divorce are differently challenging and, and oftentimes more challenging for these complex kids. Um, as they're, as they're really trying to navigate it in collaboration with us. Right. Right. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. And I can I can imagine one or two triggered parents and and kids being hypersensitive. And even when I talk to uh, my clients who are in high conflict divorce and and they've got your neurotypical kids, there's a lot of acting out that happens. There's a lot of misinterpretation that the parent might have. And so now you add this extra element and I know that, you know, you work with people who are like happily married and struggling with all of these things. How do we how can we support um, people who are in the midst of divorce or post-divorce and co-parenting with all of these complexities going on? Well, you know, there's so many pieces to this, Karen. And, and you know, when I think about the foundations of what we teach at Impact Parents, and I know what we we talk to people about at JBD as well, is this sort of, you've got to take care of yourself. You know, it's like this sort of, you got to, you're building the foundation. I got to take care of me. I got to be there for my kids. I've got to build a relationship with my kids that enables me to collaborate and partner with them as we're navigating stuff together, because you're going to be navigating it together, even if you're the one that's in the lead or in the front of it. Um, and 
I think that the other piece of it is, you know, is to, to take, to take a marathon view. It's just sort of, this stuff is this <laughs> complex kids is hard. Divorce is hard. You're adding them together. You're, you're, you're doubling your heart or quadrupling yeah. your heart. It may be exponential. And so being setting realistic expectations for yourself, for your kids, you know, ride in the waves sometime, but really kind of saying, okay, what's, what's most important to me here? And how do I prioritize? Because I may not be able to tackle everything at once. It may not be realistic for me to be able to, to help my kid 24 seven and deal with this really difficult situation. I might need to make some more conscious choices that I might make differently if I wasn't going through a divorce, or I might make differently if I was not parenting a complex kid. What, while I was thinking about this episode, I was wondering what happens when the kid, the complex kid, or your interpretation versus your ex's interpretation collides? Like when both parents aren't on the same page about what, what the children need. your friends and loved ones deeply care about you. But if you're honest, while they mean well, when it comes to your divorce, they just don't get it. And sometimes you leave those conversations feeling even more isolated. If you're lonely and craving connection and support, check out our high conflict divorce support group, where an intimate group of 12 people gather from the comfort of their homes to hear, see, and encourage each other while our JBD team of coaches provide emotional support and practical guidance. There's no reason to take this journey alone. If you've been yearning for support, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash HCDSG and register today. a great conversation, whether, I mean, it happens in, in heavily married families too. I mean, it's not, it's in all kinds of couples. I mean, that there are often differences of perspective in terms of what neurodiverse kids need in terms of support. Um, you know, we teach what we call a coach approach to parenting, which is really about helping your child move towards independence, helping to foster and, and, build problem solvers. I mean, these are kids, they've got to ultimately figure out how to manage their own neurodivergence and figure out what their strengths are and figure out what their challenges are and figure out how to ask for help where they need it and figure out how to, oh, wait, this is hard for me. What do I do to make it easier for me? I mean, we want to launch successful young adults and adults. And it's it's hard to do that when we're worried about not being on the same page. And so the first thing that I would say is some hope that even if you're not on the same page, you can still help your kid, right? It's just sort of, we always say there's only, it only takes one parent to steer the ship, right? Yep. If you change the dance, the dance will change. And we want our co-parents, whether they're co-parents we're with or co-parents that we're formerly with to be as in alignment as possible. And there are often challenges with kids where consistency does add value 
and it may not be possible, right? And so playing the role of educator, playing the role of information sharer, playing the role of advocate to the extent you can is important and setting realistic expectations. If you've got someone who sees the world very different than you, you know, right. maybe I don't spend 10 hours trying to convince my ex that my kid needs a 504 plan. Maybe I say, I, I want you to understand this. And I feel strongly enough about that. This is something I'm going to pursue on my own, right? It's just sort of, you, you decide that this is time for a boundary instead of time for a collaboration. Right. And, you know, so bottom line, two things, one is you can do it on your own. And, and the other is it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to be on the same page to be able to make progress. So, um, I'm not quite sure where to take this. What What are the key things that I mean? You've got we've got these people listening who um, who need some support in this area. They're triggered. They're overwhelmed. They're going through divorce, or they're like just on the other side trying to figure it out. Um, what I'm hearing you say, you know, take care of yourself first, right? Put the oxygen mask on. I am hearing you say. Um, keep realistic expectations. Now there's so many moving plates and, you know, you and I have both been in exactly this position. I think that I look at, at your history and how you were the kind of calm leader in your family amongst everything. And, and even if you have that one person who is neurotypical, that's a lot. So besides taking care of yourself and expectations, are there certain um, guidances that you can give our listeners as to here? The, these are the key things that make yeah. a big difference. Maybe that's what I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that come to mind as you're saying that. Um, there are tools that we teach um, in, in our model. The first one is to take aim. And the second one is to get curious, right? So taking aim is about picking one thing. I mean, you've got all these things going on. And maybe your kid is having a hard time with the transition between, okay, today they've got to be at this house and tomorrow they've got to be at that house. And they're really struggling with the rules are different at mom's house than they are at dad's house. And they're really trying to handle that. And so you would narrow in and say, how do I handle it when my kid has meltdowns on Tuesday nights when they get home after they've been with their dad all weekend, right? It's just sort of something very specific that you're going to take aim on rather than trying to tackle all the challenges. And if you've got a complex kids, you've, you've got a lot of challenges, I'm sure, right? And you've got challenges right. with the divorce process as well. So the first thing is really kind of giving yourself permission to take aim really narrowly and what we what I find in my coaching is that if we can have a little success or our kid can have a win because they're struggling, then it helps us to stay in the game a little bit longer. Success breeds success, I guess, is the quote I would bring into this. It's like, OK, so that worked. I'm working on this. I'm moving it forward. It takes a little bit of pressure off. Right. I always joke about the fact it's like, OK, so I'm working on helping my kid uh, turn in their homework. I might pick up their towel for a while. <laughs> And just got to take care of their towel. I'll clean the bathroom. You don't worry about that. Let's focus over here on this one thing, right? So taking aim is a way to really help you to prioritize. Doesn't mean you won't get to the other stuff, but but giving yourself permission to not try to tackle everything all at once. And maybe giving yourself permission if you're in a really particularly stressful time during your divorce process to say, you know what? I might take my foot off the accelerator a little bit. You know, these are the things I have to keep moving and keep under control, but there may be other things that I'm like, 
not working super hard at, you know, X, Y, and Z. The second thing is about getting curious. And getting curious is about looking at what's really, really, really going on, right? So if you have a kid who's melting down on Tuesdays after they've been at dad's all weekend, you know, to be to be creative and to be curious and to if you can be curious with your child to say, wow, I noticed that you're really having a hard time today. What's going on? You know, is, if, if your child is available and open to that conversation, a lot of these kids are not self-aware yet or not self-aware enough to kind of have those conversations. So we might need to kind of brainstorm in our head, what might be going on? Well, it may be that they've been holding it together all weekend and they're just exhausted. It may be that there's some confusion about what, wait, where am I? What's, what are the rules here? How do I re-regulate and, and remind myself of, of how it is here versus there? You know, but, and underneath all of it, these are neurodivergent kids. And so they're challenges of executive function. And I, and I don't want to go into the detail of explaining executive function, but executive function is the part of our brain that tells us what to do and what not to do. Right. And these kids have challenges of executive function. And so if we say what's really going on, my kid is fighting me. What's really going on is my kid is really having a hard time dealing with this transition. My kid is being rude. What's really going on is my kid is feeling overwhelmed and stressed out, right? It's just sort of that simple reflection of what might be really going on underneath it rather than what we see on the face of it, particularly in those two examples I just gave, because if I look at what's on the face of it, I'm going to react. If I, if I see the snarky kid or the rude kid or the meltdown kid, I'm going to get hooked and I'm going to suddenly, I'm going to be dysregulated and reacting to my kid probably who looks a lot like my misbehaving ex right. who's been overreacting or whatever right. else. And then I'm all back in the hot mess again. You know, as you're talking, um, uh, just in, in, in all transparency, Diane has helped me tremendously over the years with uh, my children. And early on, uh, I remember calling you and just complaining about whichever one of them was just being so quote unquote bad. And Diane um, asked me this question that I have shared with so many that was a game changer for me. And it was just one question. I know what it is. <laughs> Karen, is it naughty or neurological? And it yep. totally blew my socks off. And even yep. today with my 24 and 26 year old, it's it's easy when life is stressing you out and stuff to go to judgment. Even us who who talk about and coach around be curious. And that that question was so black and white. It was so crystal clear. Um, and it really it did so many things for me. It helped me to soften my heart. Um, it helped me to step back into curiosity. I had to work on not being self-condemning because I then felt very badly about yeah. treating my kids as if they were bad. But can you just talk a little bit about that yeah. and and how that one question, that one tool um, can really help people on a regular basis? What's underneath that tool, and we use it all the time, it's, I got to say it's in the top three tools of, in my toolbox, but it, it's about perspective shift, right? And it's not because we know for a fact that it's not naughty or we know for a fact that it's 100% neuro neurological. It's really about the fact that if I look at my kid and I see my kid is being rude, I'm likely to get triggered and go, how dare you? You can't be rude. Or, oh, I must be a shit mom because I've got a rude kid. Or, 
oh my gosh, if he's going to be rude to me, what's he going to do? And he's going to get fired from a job when he's 24 <laughs> years old. I blah, blah, right. It's just sort of, I go into the story. And so if I go, wow, my kid's having a really hard time showing respect right now, I'm going to move into a place of, of support and helping, which is ultimately what we want when we're supporting our kids anyways. Like I want to be here to help my kid to develop the skills, to change the behavior, whatever it is. But if I'm doing it from a reactive place, I'm going to approach it very differently. So naughty versus neurological is designed to shift your mindset to, wow, maybe my kid's having a hard time here. How do I want to lighten? How do I lighten it up for me a little bit and not get so hooked onto it? not get so panicky about it and really kind of figure out what is the problem I'm really trying to solve underneath it. And I mean, for most of these kids, it really is neurological because that executive function thing I was talking about a minute ago literally impacts every aspect of their life. And oh, by the way, if you've just got a stressed out kid, they're going to have the same executive function challenges, maybe that a kid with anxiety or with ADHD has. I mean, my kid, my kids used to tease me when we were back, particularly when we were going through the divorce and stressed out, middle-aged, menopausal mom looks a lot like an adult with ADHD. And my kids are like, mom, you're ADHD. And I'm like, no, I'm not really, really, really. I'm not. Yeah. But you're always forgetting stuff. You're always. And that's just that indication that we're all a little neurodivergent when we get overwhelmed and stressed out and especially our kids. Yeah. And that might even be, um, an interesting, uh, awareness to hold on to. So, so for the parents listening, you know, you, you know, when you're not at your best, right. You know, when you're, I just, I just had a couple of really rough days and, you know, I'm doing all of this self-coaching and I'm trying to stay centered and how important is it? And, um, and so, so, so just that piece that, wow, when that happens to me, which isn't that often, that's how my kid lives on a pretty regular basis. Like, I think that's a pretty, excellent um, perspective to hold on to. Well, and you said this in the intro, and I just want to bring this in because we haven't talked about it yet. Statistically, neurodivergence is genetic, right? And so if you've got a kid who's got autism or anxiety or ADHD, probability is one or both of the parents are also on some level neurodivergent. And we have, I can't tell you how many parents come to us and say, I got diagnosed when my kid got diagnosed or we found out my kid had ADHD and I like my life makes sense because, oh, wait, I have it too. Or, oh, my kid's autistic. Oh, wow. I'm autistic too. Right. It's a sort of, there's this pattern that happens. And so most of us, if we have a complex kid are either complex ourselves or we have a co-parent or soon to be ex or whatever our relationship is with a co-parent that is. And so And that may actually have been part of why your marriage dissolved. I mean, I know that it was part of, transparently, it was part of what happened in my marriage is this sort of my ex's ability to, you know, co-parent with me effectively to manage his own neurodiversity played a part in what, what happened in terms of our ability to continue to partner together. And so, you know, tie that into your comment about being on different pages. I mean, there's all these different pieces here that are coming into play. Um, in you know, for me, because I'm on the other side, part of what I want to, and, and because I work with neurodivergent adults all day long is I want to call us to ask that same question about naughty versus neurological when we're talking about our exes or our co-parents or whoever else, you know, and, and I, we don't necessarily need to get into this conversation, but somebody was talking this week about, you know, being married to a narcissist. And I was like, 
well, is it a narcissist or is it a neurodivergent adult? And what is the difference? And if you looked at it as a neurodivergent adult who's struggling versus somebody who's narcissistic, would you handle it differently? We're kind of having that naughty versus neurological conversation, right. not to give them a break and not to say that their behavior is okay. We certainly don't want to do that. And we want to make sure that we're approaching it from a, as much compassion as we realistically right. can when it's something that they literally aren't choosing to do, but they but it's the way their brain is wired. Yeah. And I think that you have such a depth of compassion because of what you do. And there's another thing that you had said, maybe not directly to me, maybe in one of our podcasts, but um, along the same lines, just very powerful one short statement, which is uh, always assume best intent. Mm-hmm. And that also hit me like and and I have a really um, challenging ex and and I know he's neurodivergent. And so the assuming best intent and the naughty or neurological are similar, but they're two different ways of stepping off of the judgment and into the curiosity and compassion. And yeah. uh, and I love that because I think that, first of all, um the more judgmental we are, the more reactive and we're going to be operating out of our amygdala. Amygdala, We're not going to be using our (laughs) executive functioning. So if you're the one person, if you even are, but if you are the neurotypical person, then it's so helpful to have these tools to stay calm and centered and clear-minded so that you can, you can support and, and do your best with your kids. Well, yeah. And, and we said this a few minutes ago, but this isn't about them. This is about you and figuring out how to get into a mindset that's going to keep you in the game of parenting and doing life effectively. And if you're constantly getting hijacked with fear or frustration or guilt or shame or whatever the emotion is underneath it, you're probably not operating as effectively as you want to as a human. And, you know, that's our heart for everybody. It's like, let's figure out how to help you to be the the kind of person you want to be more often and show up the way you want to show up instead of showing up as someone who's feeling like you're at the effect of a divorce or a complex kid or a whatever it is. I want to ask about one, one other thing before we begin to wrap up. And that is uh, you and I both have emerging adults. And so Mm -hmm. what, what is different or or what changes what does a parent need to keep in mind when they're when they're going through divorce and their child is either preparing for college or heading off to college or stepping into the workforce post college so because there's different complexities that come with kids of that age and so it's almost like you're adding another layer of difficulty can you yeah, give some yeah. guidance in that Well, and I'm going to direct us more specifically to complex kids, because a lot of times what happens is that those complex kids um, are practically ready from an age perspective to be independent. But because of their executive function challenges, they're often three to five years. Technically, the statistic is they're 30 percent behind their peers in terms of their executive function development. So you've got a kid who's 21 who may act more like you know, a kid who's 15, you've got a kid who might be 30, who is more like a 20 year old in terms of their independence. And and our brain isn't completely cooked until well late into our twenties. And with these kids, it's often later than that. 
And so you've got a kid who wants to be more independent than they are able to be. They don't want mom or dad telling them what to do. They don't, and they can't, they don't want to ask for help. They don't know how to ask for help. They, you know, there's this, we call it the independence paradox. So there's this gap between the help they need and the help they want and the help we want to give them. And it's just kind of ends up in this sort of cluster is such a weird word, but it's, it's a cluster of complexity. And I think that the, the thing that I want to pull out for us is that when you have a, an adult, like when our kids are little, we take the lead. We often will tell them what to do. We often will go into what we call director mode and, okay, this is what's next. And this happens. And then we're going to do that. And then you'll do your homework and we'll have dinner together. I mean, it's like, we are setting the pace and in the lead. And at some point, usually it's, you know, somewhere between 11 and 14, our kids start saying, mom, dad, I want to, I want to be, have more agency. I want to be more in charge. And when they turn 18 legally, you know, we don't, we don't have the same right legally. We don't have the same rights. And in their mind, they want to be a grown ass kid, a human, right? It's just sort of, they want to be an adult and they're not able to be. And so what I always say to parents is you want to focus on them and their agenda and let go on some level of your agenda, or at least acknowledge, Hey, I'm, this is my agenda and not their agenda. Because if I'm trying to help them achieve their goals and what they want or accomplish whatever it is they want, whether it has to do with how they're going to manage through a divorce process or how they're going to manage through transition to college or to adulthood, um, then I'm going to handle it very differently than if it's like, I want to make sure that my kid does this, right? That's my agenda. And what I really need to do is to say, okay, wait, this is an adult. I can want for them. Right but I can't want from them because I can't control them. Right. And we really can't control our kids either when they're under 18, but it's just right, right. It becomes much <laughs> their wantonness and their, their, uh, their agency, their demand for agency sometimes goes exponentially when they hit that 18 yes. year old marker or, or after high school or whatever the transition is. So is there another yeah, direction you wanted to go with that Karen? No, that- no, that that's so perfect. So I, one of my children um, has a very late birthday and so um, went to college actually at the age of 17 and really ran into some challenges. And I remember talking to you over the course of that year. And yet again, that was the next saying, right? That Karen, they're, they're three to five years younger, which first of all made me drop my jaw because now I've got like a 12-year-old in college (laughs) on their own. And I was like, oh my God. But but what it immediately did again was just melted my judgment. Um, Mm. Like, what are you doing? We're spending a lot of money. You're, You're like, and all of this, like, oh my God, you're blowing it up. And and the ability to shift that from you're bad, you're blowing it up to, wow, you this really is hard need for some support <laughs> and, you know, and what are you going through? And so I just, you know, I just want to um, say that that even those statements that we talked about are so immensely valuable. And I would love for you um, to leave with any last tips and then let our audience know how they can find you and and how they can learn more. Because I think that especially since we specialize in the high conflict, there's a lot of neurodivergent individuals divorcing. And so 
This is really important information to understand for for the individual listening to be able to live in some semblance of peace and calm throughout this and to feel good about themselves. And so final tips and then how do we find you? Well, yeah, just to reiterate, statistically, and then an adult with ADHD or autism or anxiety is, is much more likely to end up in a divorce situation than a neurotypical one is. And those of you who are out there dating again in, in your later age, <laughs> the field out there, and, I, and I'm the testimony, it's like I went from one neurodiverse partner to another neurodiverse partner, and I've done it in a very different, more conscious way. And so there is hope and there is ways. Maybe we could do another podcast episode on um, partnering with adults who have neurodivergence. But the the tools that kind of come up are like, how do you, what are the tools that will help you to engage with your kids in a different way? And the two that come up are self-management and transparency. So it's a sort of, if you're constant commitment, I always say commit to calm because I tend to be a explosive, I, I'm a recovering yelling mom, right? So it's a sort of, but self-management, whether that's managing your overwhelm or managing your calm or whatever it is and, and giving some effort and attention to that is the first thing that I think is so helpful in, in, in this realm. The other piece is transparency and, and finding ways to let your kids know, Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, this is hard for me. Hey, I'm really conflicted because I want to be here for you. And I'm really distracted because something's going on for me personally. Even if you're not giving the details, even just sharing and giving your, you know, these kids don't need you to be perfect. And in fact, if they know that you're not, it gives them permission to be not perfect. And a lot of times our kids, particularly if you happen to be a neurotypical around a lot of neurodivergence and they don't see your flaws, they get, they create this story that they're not supposed to have flaws either. And somehow they're broken or bad or what are lazy, crazy or stupid, whatever the, the story is that they tell themselves. And so if we self-manage and we are a little bit more transparent, it can be a gift to these kids and, and a model of how to handle hard stuff, right? Is, and that's ultimately what we want is we want to be role models to our kids. And so the more focus we have on how do I, how am I handling this hard stuff and how do I do it in a way that's modeling for them, not to do it perfectly so that they think that I'm, it's not a problem, but that they see that life is hard and maybe you're asking for help. Maybe you've decided to hire a divorce coach or maybe you've decided to hire some support for you as a parent. I mean, that modeling of struggle can be such an enormous support for your kids in a way that you probably didn't imagine. Absolutely. I love that. I love that last, those last two tips. Um, how can our listeners find you? So um, Impact Parents is the name of our website. We have a, a, a lot of free information and we have a, I have a podcast. It's called Parenting with Impact as well. If you're interested in following our podcast um, and um, I have a free gift for your folks that should be in the show notes. Right. And so there's a, a, a guide for the top 10, I think, or 12 tips for supporting your complex kids. Um, and it'll just give you some of our, our, some reiteration of what Karen and I talked about at a, at a top level, but a, a take home that you can be like, okay, these are the things I want to pay attention to as I may be struggling with a, with a kid who's, um, again, ADHD, autism, anxiety, those sorts of things are our area of focus. Um, and we'd love to have you part of our community. 
Yeah. And I just want to say that Diane and her team are rock stars. And so if you're listening and nodding your head and this is you, please, please listen to the podcast, go to the website, a ton of articles, other free gives, giveaways, and then this free resources, and then this particular gift, um, which you can find in the show notes. So Diane, thank you so much for joining uh-huh. us. That was fabulous. I think that that was just chock full of so much good information. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here. And thanks to all of you who are listening and for all you're doing for your kids. Um, It's so important. Yeah. And we'll be back again real soon with another episode of All Things Parenting. You take care. You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions. And it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.